Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Hugh Ballou back for another episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. You know, you can find it at thenonprofitexchange.org. You can find all of our episodes. We interview somebody every week, and every week has been so special for me because there's just amazing people doing amazing things. And today is an episode like we've not had before. It's to stimulate our thinking, open our eyes, and to be aware of things that are right around us. So uh, Professor Tori Lucas, dear friend of mine, lives in the same town, um, is doing amazing work as a professor at Liberty. He's a professor of law. So Tori, tell people about who you are and why do you have a passion for today's topic, dissing ability? Yeah, thanks, Hugh. And, and uh, I'm so grateful that you're, you're giving me this platform and allowing me to talk about disability law. Uh, basically, I'm a, a first-generation college student. Uh, nobody had gone to college in my family, and I had seen growing up a number of marginalized people, including people with disabilities, including an uncle uh, of mine and others. And I saw how society placed uh, irrational barriers to, to their ability to participate equally uh, in our society. And education has unlocked every single opportunity for me. So I went to college and then law school. I was a trial lawyer in private practice. I served as a judge advocate in the US Air Force clerked for a couple of federal judges, and then I got into teaching. And so I taught at three law schools, uh, Stetson, Creighton, and Nebraska. And then for the last 11 years, I've been at Liberty. And, and the reason I, I, I wrote this paper, and I have a little prop here, uh, my, my dissing ability paper or my article, or as my mom calls it, a book. The reason I wrote it, it, it was my, my entire worldview over my entire lifetime that America had created a, a false construct on people with disabilities. So I wrote this article called Dissing Ability as a prescription to change the, the vision uh, of Americans to stop looking at disability and start looking at ability. So the name of the article, uh, Dissing Ability, means that if you focus on disability, you actually disrespect ability. And so disability focuses, my, my vision is that we focus on the ability side and not the disability side. And um, you, I've heard you speak recently at my Rotary Club and I was astounded. I, I know some about this thanks to one of, one of my friends that's on this, watching this today, Daniel Hodges, um, it's taught me a lot that I just didn't know before. So what are some of the things that we do and we don't know that we do them. And it, it, I think mostly we ignore people and we don't know what to do, but we're uncomfortable. So what are some of the things that we don't know that we should know with about people with different abilities? Yeah, well, some of the things that we do in society are based on a historical construct. And so in the, in the article, I, I, I contrast the horrors of focusing on disability with the hope uh, that comes with focusing on ability. So historically, uh, we excluded people with disabilities. We, we saw them as, uh, we, we dehumanized them by stigmatizing them with various terms, idiots, feeble-minded, morons. These were all constructs that we, we built, that they were burdensome and harmful. And so society actually created sophisticated exclusionary regimes 
that we're still trying to overcome. And so one was immigration laws. We thought that as Americans, you had to be independent, stand on your own two feet. And we equated disability with inability, and that's not what we wanted. So we had strict immigration laws that would keep people excluded. Uh, we then had anti-marrying laws. We had institution laws. We even had uh, uh, ugly laws where many cities said that if you were deformed or had a disability, you could not show yourself in public. And so over the, 20th, over the 18th and 19th and 20th century, as you don't integrate, as you don't see people with disabilities, you see them based on a caricature, a false story about them. And so this exclusionary regime that we built up really took an ugly turn at the early 20th century as Darwinism and social eugenics started to get into the forefront of our thinking. And we actually moved from exclusionary principles to elimination principles. Now there's an example just over the river here in Virginia. And um, your wife runs the Business Alliance here and she's making tracks to change that image. But talk about the training center or whatever it was called over the years. Yeah, so as you exclude people from society, you don't get to see any of their abilities or their talents. And then the costs go up. And so now society really sees people who are invisible as harmful and burdensome. And so as we built these warehouses, or in our case, these, these uh, hospitals for the feeble-minded and the epileptics, uh, we, we just, just think about the perversity of this, that as the burdens of taking care of them went up, we then thought the costs are too great, so maybe we can eliminate them. And so we started a eugenics uh, forced sterilization program. Virginia led the way. And America sterilized 65,000 people with disabilities, uh, people who are blind, have deafness, uh, tuberculosis, epilepsy, um, mental illness, a whole host, but usually poor, usually poor and invisible, and the wrong story was being told. So just a few miles from where you and I are, uh, Carrie Buck was sterilized. Her mother was a prostitute in this region, and so she was thrown into the hospital for loose morals. Her daughter was then thrown into foster care where she was raped. That was seen as another person with loose morals, so she was thrown into the same hospital. And when she gave birth, the, the, uh, a nurse decided that this little infant was also uh, uh, feeble-minded. And so this case went to the Virginia Supreme Court, went to the U.S. Supreme Court right out of the Lynchburg region. And our Supreme Court 8-1 said that it's constitutional for a state to forcibly sterilize people with disabilities for quote, three generations of imbeciles are enough is what Justice Holmes wrote. And all they did in all of these cases is focus on disability. There was no story about ability, nothing at all. And that incessant focus is easy to do. And what my vision is, is people stop looking only at disability and transition their vision to see ability too. You mentioned Darwin earlier. How, I know that um, Darwin influenced Hitler and Marx in their thinking. What impact did that kind of thinking have on, on this methodology? Yeah, this Darwin was the, was the source of, of eugenics. And so uh, American 
thinkers followed the cruel history of only looking at, at disability and not ability, and they thought that we are weaker as a society if we have burdensome individuals. And so people with disabilities were not seen as having any ability, could not contribute, and were actually a harm to the herd, if you will. And so that took root here in, in Virginia and then spread across in, in Indiana and spread across America. 65,000 people with disabilities were sterilized. But as you mentioned, Adolf Hitler was watching what we were doing and he wanted to implement what we were doing. And so he then sterilized 400,000 people with disabilities. And then just think about it, Hugh, if you, if you dehumanize and stigmatize and exclude people, because they're burdensome and they're harmful and you have no idea what their abilities are. Once you can eliminate offspring and that's rational, well, can you take the next step and just eliminate the living? And of course, Hitler took that next step and, and executed 200,000 people with disabilities. You know, I didn't know any of this stuff until you, you talked to our Rotary. At the um, beginning of the pandemic, uh, Bishop Younger of the Ramp Church here in International in, in Lynchburg gathered people at the foot of monument stairs where there's a monument for all of our wars. And he said, you know, my relatives fought in those wars, but they didn't have any rights when they came home. And he made the point, we were all gathered there, was representative of our, of our population there. And he said, we aren't the generation that caused this. We're the generation that can heal this. So looking at it through that lens, how do we in this generation heal some of these problems? Yeah, I was at that event uh, as well. Uh, that was a really great evening. I love Bishop Younger and the Ramp Church. I think, I think uh, it, it goes to, well, on that topic, it was race. And race is another false construct. So America created this perverse construct that black people were somehow less than white people. And so we created a disability, if you will, by looking at the wrong thing and mistelling uh, people's story. And so all these false and perverse and irrational and bigoted constructs that we build based on false stereotypes have to be, have to be dismantled brick by brick. And it doesn't matter if it deals with sex or if it deals with race or if it deals with disability. It's a perverse construct when you mistell somebody's story. You're looking over here at what you think their story is. That's not their story. The story is uh, on the opposite side. And so for me, all the only reason I'm on this show today is if we can get some of your viewers and listeners, when they see a disability, if they can just pause and stop and don't equate that with inability, and then look for the ability side. I'll give you a vision test. I did this at the, the Rotary Club uh, and we'll, we'll do it for everybody. Do you think that a person without a right hand can pitch in Major League Baseball? Well, Jim Abbott, of course, did, and he didn't have a, a right hand. Uh, do you think that a, a person who's never kicked a football and has never played football can be a kicking coach in the NFL? Well, Doug Blevins for the Miami Dolphins was just that, a world-class coach. If you focus on disability, you're going to disability. Look at the ability side. Do you think that a president has to stand and walk? Well, President Roosevelt didn't. He used a wheelchair. And even though his legs could not take him onto a stage, uh, onto a stage, his abilities took him onto the world stage. And he got us through the Depression, and he got us through a world war. And so we could go on and on and on with these stories of if you incessantly focus on disability, it's the wrong place. Focus on ability. 
And we can point fingers, but you look at um, who participated, you know, our corporations participated, our social clubs, our churches, everybody was a part of this. We were, we were, it was visible to us. Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe. And, and yeah, I'm certainly uh, not, not casting stones, but we can, and until we see the real story in each one of us. So the, the greatness in America lies in removing barriers and moving forward together and letting somebody's story and potential come out. And what we've done in, 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 in the disability areas, we've just looked in the wrong place. Fortunately, in the 20th century, we've started to move in the right direction. And you mentioned uh, war. War was a big opportunity for people with disabilities for two reasons. One, as quote unquote, able-bodied men went off to fight, we had to, to, to support the war effort and women and black people and people with disabilities poured into the workplace and they performed great. And so it was very difficult to say that they didn't have ability once we saw people performing. The second thing that happened, Hugh, is that as soldiers were coming back from the battlefield, uh, they had brain injuries and they lost arms and they lost legs and all types of, of disabilities. It was very hard for society to dispose of them at that point to say that they are worthless or harmful. And so world wars actually helped us see the potential with people with disabilities. That's remarkable. Um, I wanna point out that, you, that, that hold up your, your book as your mom calls it. <laughs> yeah, so um, Professor Lucas has uh, graciously uh, provided a link so you can read that, download it, and you can have a copy for your, for your own use. If you're listening to this, on, a, on your smartphone, there is there is a script inside, you know, your, your podcast. If you go to the nonprofit exchange and go to this episode, Disingability, um, you will see a link for downloading it. And um, you can you can read, what will people find in that report, that article, whatever, sorry. Oh, it's great. Like my, my mom calls it a book. I call it an article. Uh, I love it. But what they'll find is the historical development of how we created legal barriers, attitudinal barriers, architectural barriers, uh, all these structural barriers to people with disabilities and their abilities. And so it shows the horrors of the past and then it transitions into the hope for the future and it goes through the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement for people with disabilities was about two and a half decades behind the civil rights movement for, for other classes of people. And Hugh, this is the only class that every single one of us can join in a moment's notice, whether by age or whether by genetics or whether by accident, if your chair collapsed under you or the ceiling over you, you would join this class instantly. And the barriers you didn't recognize were, that were placed in front of others, you'd see every single day. And so the, the, the vision of this paper is, is just a paradigm shift. It's a prescription on how to view people with disabilities so that we get rid of every single barrier uh, to unlocking their full potential. Let's talk about actions we can do. And I, just for the record, I never heard you be critical of anybody. You just present the facts and you do it in a fair and very direct manner. You don't sugarcoat it. This is the way it is. So I commend you for that. So we get sidetracked thinking about things that maybe don't matter a whole lot. And um, we get sidetracked with all, let's call them social issues, and it seems to change, <laughs> but, you know, year after year. But 
we we uh, we ignore different groups and this is 26 percent of our population we would classify in this category for lack of a better word disability so what are some of the things we can do from starting with awareness and going forward that any of us can do i love it i love it and i love that you recognize that this is the largest american minority uh, in the country and that all of us can join it i think the the call to action today is is just that that paradigm shift and it's a vision test when you see a person's disability can you see past that we've had to do that as we dealt with race so people would have a stereotypical or a negative view of race you have to get past that your vision is obscured by some bigotry and you have to look in the other direction for that person's story of ability same thing uh we're with historically with women you you look at that and you think you know something but that's a stereotypical and, and and bigoted view watch the story emerge and don't mistell the story same thing here it really hugh is a vision test i want everybody when they see a disability see if they're equating that somehow with a inability or a burden or a harm and just wait for that story so what i really want and i would love is if your listeners would just right now think of all the stories of ability in their own lives and their grandparents lives and their friends lives and their children's lives their co-workers lives and that's where the magic's going to take place you know that's 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 super i'm, I'm thinking about people uh, you mentioned um, a left-handed pitcher. Uh, Ravel wrote a piano concerto for a particular pianist that only had a left hand and with orchestra. And um, you're familiar with the hymns of Fanny Crosby? A little bit. 8,000 hymns she wrote. Unbelievable, yeah. She was blind from, the doctor put the wrong drops in her eyes, and so she never could see when she was born. So her friend Phoebe Knapp played, played this song, and she said, oh, what a foretaste of glory I see were the words that came out of her mouth. And, you know, it wasn't fashionable for women to write at those times, so she used pen names. And she was a personal guest, dinner guest of five presidents. She wasn't head of state. She was a hymn writer. And so, and she traveled all over the world, wrote a biography, an autobiography at 92 and had to rewrite it at 95. <laughs> Still doing things. So, you know, there are, you got some more stories like that, because I think there are people that just do it regardless. Yeah, and every one of us has uh, an inability. All of us, uh, our stories are complicated. There's a lot of things that I can't do. Whether I can't do them because of a disability or an inability, that's irrelevant. Uh, my story is, is based on education, which unlocks so many opportunities. And so that's everybody's story. I've never, I've never been in a job interview, for example, where somebody said, now, Tori, tell me five things that you can't do. Now, they always ask me what I can do. With people with disabilities, it's just the opposite. You're, we're focused on the negative. You might say, can you do this or can't you do that? Just tell us what you can do, and you'd be amazed at what could happen. So let me tell you a couple more stories. There was a, a, a guy named Douglas Bader who was a pilot, a British pilot. And he was kind of a daredevil of sorts. And one day his daredeviling adventures got him injured. The tip of his plane hit the ground and he crashed and he lost both legs, And but he lived. So he learned how to walk, he learned how to dance, he learned how to play golf. And then the World War II started and he wanted to fly. And the Royal Air Force said, if you're a, a, a pilot, you have to have two legs. And Douglas Bader said, I'm a pilot regardless of whether I have my legs. And they kept saying, no, you don't have the ability. No, you don't have the ability. And finally, they let him fly. 
and he had prosthetic uh, 10 legs. Um, and when he was in the war, he was a flying ace. So he certainly could fly, uh, even though he didn't have two legs like everyone else. And then he was shot down, Hugh. And as he's stuck in the aircraft, his legs are stuck. He actually gets out because he had disposable legs. So any other pilot would have died in that crash. Only a pilot with no legs would have lived. That makes you think again. Let me give you this. How about this? I, 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 I tell some stories of uh, the Reverend Harold Wilkie in my, in my book, as my mom calls it, my, my article, Dissing Ability. And uh, Reverend Wilkie was born with no arms, no arms. And when his, his mother was carrying uh, Reverend Wilkie or, or Harold Wilkie in, in the store, a woman said, I heard the, the, the church bells toll the death of an infant, and I hope that it was your kid. And the mom was taken aback by that and said, no, life is, is better. Uh, he, he can live. And then a few years later, the mother was with a friend, and young Harold was on the, the floor without a shirt, and his mother put the shirt right next to him. And Harold was trying to put that shirt on without arms, and it wasn't easy. And the, mother, uh, the mother's friend said, would you help that kid? And the mother said, I am helping him. He can put that shirt on. You just see his disability. He has the ability to put that shirt on. Harold learns how to drive. He drove his family across America with no arms and a vacation just like any, any of us would. He wanted to become a preacher. And in his tradition, there was a, a infant baptism. And they said, well, you have to have two arms in order to, to baptize, hold the baby and then take the the drops of water and put it on to the to the baby's head and Harold said again you're, you're focused on my disability he says I have the ability to do baptism and so he reached down and kissed the water and then kissed the child's forehead with the three ecclesiastically pure drops which is probably a more intimate baptism than a person who who has hands um, Reverend Wilkie gave a prayer at the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. It was the first time there had ever been a prayer at a bill signing. 3,000 people showed up for that. Nobody, no, no bill signing in the history of America has ever had that many people, and, and there probably never will be. And why is that, Hugh? Because these people were invisible. They were excluded. Their stories weren't told. And so, of course, they were going to come out. So... How can we, as a member of any institution, be an advocate for this? Because I still think we have a long way to go to be more inclusive. It, it ought to be part of the company, church, or whatever organization's policy of inclusiveness, inclusivity. Yeah, I agree. And so in, in my paper, I, I say that if you focus on disability, that leads to dependence. If you focus on ability, it's independence. If you focus on disability, it leads to exclusion. If you focus on ability, it leads to inclusion. If you focus on disability, it leads to elimination. If you focus on ability, it leads to equal access to equal opportunity. And it, I, I'll actually, I'd encourage us, all of us on this call to, to, to not look at society for the change. I, I think it starts in the mirror every morning. Every single morning when we get up, when you get up, when I get up, we look in the mirror and we just make a commitment that we're not going to construct a false narrative of the potential of everyone around us, that we'll actually listen to their story rather than mistelling it. Ah, that's amazing. And um, 
those of you who are watching us on Facebook Live, you'll notice there's there's a there's a script on the bottom of the screen for those that are challenged with hearing. So, um, Tori, you are a professor of law at, at Liberty, and you have two areas of specialty. One is disability law. What's the other one? I'm probably more of a generalist. I love all the areas of the law, but federal courts and federal jurisdiction is an area. I also teach property law for 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 uh, first year property students, but disability law is, is really the worldview uh, that I think brings a, a passion because I don't think anybody on this call, you, you talked about churches. Churches have a very simple uh, uh, mandate and that is to, to love others as you'd love yourself. And so the golden rule is in all major religions and it is at the heart of what America is supposed to do. That is, get out of people's way, stop putting irrational barriers in front of them. And if you're ever going to create a barrier, then pray to God that you and your family live under those barriers. None of us would do that. And so we simply have to get rid of all of the irrational barriers to God-given potential. Every one of us deserves that, and every one of us wants that. So give us some ideas how to be an advocate in any organization that we belong to. Um, Many of us are in organizations, we lead organizations, so we could certainly be an advocate in the nonprofit of the church. Our audience are nonprofit leaders and clergy. We can certainly get a group together. I think in, in my history, getting a group of people who are passionate about a topic to come up with some process together is a way to make sure that it gets to the finish line. You got any ideas for people who are not in charge. How do we come together in a non-combative way that, to say, okay, let's something we can do together, especially churches? Yeah, I think first tell the story. And so one of the things we've seen, the horrors of our past, is we mistell people with disability stories and we exclude them. And as you exclude them, they're not, they're, their talents and abilities aren't part of society. So then that false narrative starts to take shape. And so I think all of us should just celebrate all of the diverse stories and abilities that are, are in our midst. So the first is to tell a story. The second, and, and from an employment perspective, this is, is really helpful. I think every one of us would love to work for an employer who said, Hugh, what can I do to help you succeed? Now that question will be answered differently based on, on, on anybody's abilities. But so a person with a disability might need an accommodation. It's not a handout. It's not saying that we're letting someone who's inferior in. It's unlocking the, the potential of a person. And with that accommodation, they might be able to perform better than any other candidate. And so I think those two things uh, in, in tandem can really unlock a lot of potential. So I've, your spirit of you're inclusive by your very manner. You know, let's think about this. Let's think about that. Your language, your demeanor, you're very inclusive. Sometimes we get so passionate about things, we tend to come across as, as uh, aggressive when we're assertive. So any, any, and you represent the law, there's a legal aspect of this. So talk about how to be assertive and not aggressive for, for believers of, in this and then, you know, where do we fit in with the law or some things we could be advocates for with the law? Yeah, and whether you're advocating with, within the law or without the law, um, to me, any advocacy starts with thinking about something. And if your thinking is faulty, 
then of course your advocacy is going to be faulty. So if, if you think about something in a faulty way, you're going to write and speak about it in a, in a, in a faulty way. So first we have to get our thinking right. And that's why this vision uh, paradigm shift is so important. My prescription to, to not incessantly focus on disability, to focus on the ability side. Once we're thinking appropriately then, and we're looking in the right direction, we can start to tell stories. And, and Hugh, if you've ever thought about why people write and speak, I think we're overdosing in, a, in society now that people have something to say. That's not the reason you say anything. Right now, I did not come on here just to say something. I came on here to package what I have to say so that you and others can hear it. And that's the only reason we should advocate is not to say something. There's too much of this, shut up and listen, I have something to say. Nobody's gonna listen to that. People listening to my voice right now are not gonna do something because I tell them to do something. They're gonna do it because they believe that their mind has made a choice to do it. And so the only reason, Hugh, that we should speak and advocate is so that it can be received by the listener in the way that we want it. And so hopefully you and I have done just that over the last 30 minutes. Absolutely. And you've put a lot in here. Is there any, anything I haven't asked that you want to share with people before we, this is a great interview, before we reach the end of it? No, I just, uh, I appreciate your, your uh, first, I thought it was great be, that I was able to see you at the uh, Rotary uh, talk and you had some great follow-up questions. And, and then over the last few months, trying to, to coordinate our schedules for this opportunity, I'm just so grateful, Hugh. I, I, uh, I can't tell you how, how, how much I appreciate your platform and giving me access for a dissing ability to get to some more people. Well, great. And it's, I'm, I'm so pleased that you're here and it's, it's something that's meant a lot to me. Um, and so ladies and gentlemen that are listening, people, boys and girls, uh, everybody that's listening, um, you can get more stuff like this uh, in the Center Vision community for nonprofit leaders and clergy. It's nonprofitcommunity.org nonprofitcommunity.org where we support each other and we share things like this. So this is a product of that community. So as we end this, oh, so I was going to say, Tori, at many times in my life, people saw me as nothing but potential, but they gave me a chance. And so I, I was directing a choir at 18. I hadn't even been in a choir, studied piano. Somebody gave me a chance. So I didn't, people looked at me as potential. I think that's a good rule for all of us. Let's look at people as potential. And you've opened my eyes to that today. So I'm grateful personally for what you've shared. Yeah, thank you. Well done. What's the closing thought you'd like to leave with people? No, let's just leave it with that, that the, the potential that God has created in every single one of us is valuable and that we should do everything we can in society to get rid of irrational barriers, to try to find a way to unleash that potential. And I'll leave your listeners with this. I don't know if this is a true statement, but it sure seems true to me. When you help someone else unleash their potential, it will never come back on you in a negative way, ever. You heard it right here, Tori Lucas. Thank you for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.